You're listening to Agency Highway. This is a podcast for agencies that want to grow their business and work less. Agency Highway is sponsored by Content Snare, a platform that helps digital agencies gather content from clients without digging through a storm of emails, huge attachments, and messy Google Docs. Sign up at contentsnare.com and use the chat widget to say you heard about Content Snare on Agency Highway, and you'll get a 30-day trial instead of the typical 14. Now, here's this week's episode. Welcome back to Agency Highway. Today, you're going to hear a replay of the most popular episode of Agency Highway to date. You may or may not know that I am currently working on a Zapier course uh, by popular demand. Um, I ran a pre-launch a few weeks ago and lots of people signed up, so I'm kind of tied up actually creating that course now, uh, which has taken me a little bit away from the podcast I uh, will be back, but uh, for the next couple of weeks, I want to replay you a couple of the most popular episodes, and uh, the, they're the most popular for good reason. This one is James Shremko, who is an online marketer from uh, same place as me, Australia, and he's a very, very switched on guy that's all about building a lifestyle business, not just working ourselves to death. So... Um, his message is really good. Uh, and I recorded this a little while ago. Uh, so my interview style may not be as good and the audio may not be as good. I've learned a lot since then. Uh, but the message is still awesome. And it's all about the title of his book, work less, make more. So, um, if you're interested in my Zapier course, you can jump on the wait list at jimmyrose.me and you'll see a link at the top called, uh, Zapier course. Um, otherwise, let's get on with the interview. G'day, James. How are you? Good. How are you going? Not too bad. Thanks for joining me. Uh, this is uh, pretty bloody exciting. I think I first heard of you or experienced your uh, business teachings back at Fast Web Formula 3. I don't even know what year that was. Yeah, that would have been, um, was that the one at the Sunshine Coast? It was. Probably five years ago. Yeah. It's, it's, if I would have guessed. <laughs> Yeah, it was totally by accident. I, I can't remember. I think it was uh, Kerry Finch was pawning off tickets to uh, an SEO event that I went to back then. And I was like, oh, whatever, I'll go to a live event. And uh, that kind of kicked off my obsession with live events because, yeah, it's such a good such a good atmosphere at that kind of thing. Yeah, from memory, uh, that, that was quite a good one too. Kerry had a hand in choosing the venue and it was a great um, – that was the first sort of beachside event that I did and gave me a taste for it. And then years later, uh, we moved it down to Manly. Oh, yeah. Not directly after that, but a bit later. And uh, it sort of tied in with my surfing life. But I liked the casual vibe. And it was a bit out of the way, which meant that people were fairly committed to come to that event. Yeah. No, it was good. It was um, so one of the first times I left my sort of internet marketing dungeon, as I used to call it. Uh, <laughs> it really did change everything. So obviously, however many years on, I'm in your forum now, in your private community and um, yeah, learning from you all the time. And you've recently just released a book, which is uh, what I wanted to get you on to talk about today. Um uh, I think the the title, um, I actually had a little bit of a laugh because I've always said that you're one of the sort of straightest shooting marketers on the planet. Like there's there's just no bullshit with you, which is awesome. And um, your book title, Work Less, Make More, is just as to the point. <laughs> and 
it's always been a sort of problem of mine with business books that there's so much fluff in them. And uh, yours is completely the opposite. Like every word in there is is necessary, right? It's I think you've done an awesome job. Well, thank you. And, of course, I have to thank Kelly Exeter for letting me do that too. So we had to take a few decades' worth of material and crunch it down into that short read. Um, and it was also a complaint of mine when I read books. Often I figured, hey, this book's like one page or a few pages of bullet points fluffed up into three or 400 pages to look impressive on a shelf. Yep. And I'd read the book and summarise it back down into one or two pages. But if I were to guess, people going through my book will end up with more notes than they do from an average book because I don't think there is much fluff. But you should see what didn't make it into the book. I mean, <laughs> there was so much material and that's good when you can just be cutting away and cutting away and it's it's just like the pure core stuff left. And I think there's there's plenty that I could do with another book down the track. But for starters, I wanted to just get this one done and keep it really direct. It's uh it's funny you should mention notes actually, because I to be honest didn't take any notes because I found it so short that like the notes I would take were probably everything that was in the book anyway, right? So um, I ended up thinking it was just such a concise read that I'll just read it again. You know, I punched it out in I think an hour and a half, two hours, and um, there's just so much help, helpful stuff in one one little sort of um, concise guide, which is, again, that the straight down the line, no fluff, uh, which is what we all love you for. Um, oh, I, I think we should probably get into the meat uh, of – uh, sort of what you teach because as uh, as I discussed earlier, I think web designers and digital agencies are some of the most overworked people on the planet, <laughs> having met many of them, having been one for many years. Um, it's very easy to get into the trap of saying yes to everything, doing doing a lot of stuff that you shouldn't be doing. And that's why the whole concept of effective hourly rate, which is a big teaching of yours, um, resonated with me a lot. So I guess first I'd like to hear, I guess, a bit more about EHR. Yeah, so effective hourly rate is just a nice way that we can measure uh, where we're spending our time. It's definitely not the end-all goal uh, to, to break everything down to this hourly rate, but it is something we can measure. And there's quite a few things we can't measure when it comes to business. But if we can measure it and it's quite easy, we might as well start there. And you can still work this out even if you have a job. So if you were working for a software company as an employee, you could still work it out. It's simply the amount that you're bringing into your business uh, minus the amount that's going back out divided by the number of hours that you work. So if you're an employee, you generally get a wage and you don't have uh, business costs. So that wage is pretty much all profit. And you divide that by the number of hours you work. So most employees know their hourly wage. So if you're at McDonald's and you're a teenager, it might be 10 bucks or something. If you're a website developer uh, in your 40s, then you're probably making $4 an hour. <laughs> because <laughs> yep, um, right. it's frightening when people work this number out for the first time. Because what we tend to uh, be bad at is um, is being aware of um, how long we spend on projects for the amount of money we're getting. And if, if we were to look at projects on a customer-by-customer -customer basis, 
or a type of project basis and we start using this filter, what we might find is that there are some jobs that are really profitable and other jobs where you're actually paying the customer to get their website done or their software made. And this helps you start eliminating or adjusting so that you can uh, bring that number back up. And the sort of things that we're going to be seeing a lot in your area will be things like uh, bad customer selection or uh, customizing every single job that you take on or scope creep where there's very soft boundaries uh, and you tend to do a lot more work than what the customer uh, paid for. And in some cases, uh, you, you don't have good systems in place, so you might end up doing a lot of rework purely because an assumption was made or uh, someone went off track and no one checked in on it. So these are very typical scenarios that pop up in your realm. Up in your realm. Yeah, totally. And um, you were talking there about sort of bad clients and, and some like types of work that end up you know, pulling down your effectively effective hourly rate. And that's the thing I hear the most. Like I had a meeting with a guy, a, web, a local web designer, and he was telling me about how he did this, that, and, you know, he's doing Facebook marketing and Google ads. And, and you know, he had like two contractors that were doing sort of part-time. Um, and he was almost like a brag for him how much work he was doing, even though he had, you know, a family and kids and, and all this stuff. And it, I find that really strange and I found, I find that's okay for him. It was a bit of a brag, but for a lot of people, they, they end up in that position and don't enjoy it. Um, and I think it's just a matter because this is the next thing you went into in the book was the 80, 20 rule. I think it's very, very easy to apply that. Um, you took it one step further to 64, four, obviously the 80, 20 applied to 80, 20, <laughs> um, and I think that's something you can apply to both clients. It's the type of work you're doing and uh, and pretty much everything, right? Yeah, so I picked up from um, Peter Drucker, actually, that it's all about doing the right things. So some people love doing things right, but if they're the wrong things, it doesn't really matter. And I often use this example when I'm talking to someone. Um, when they say this mantra, have you ever heard this one? Just take action. That one drives me a bit crazy because if you're in the desert and you need water and you just take action, if you just start walking, if you walk away from the watering hole instead of towards it, that doesn't help you. You're just going to be exhausted and dehydrated (laughs) faster. Like you'll literally die quicker. So taking the wrong action can be detrimental. So part of this idea is that not all actions are equal. Not all clients are equal. Not all projects are equal. Not all the products that you offer within your uh, product suite are equal. It's nice to identify which ones are better than the others. Spend more time with the good ones and take active steps to eliminate the bad ones. And regarding this friend of yours who wears the work as a badge of honor, that's a very strong cultural thing in some markets and I think partly it's justification for all that effort because if you're going to work so hard, you want to feel like it's all for a reason. Uh, what's probably missing is uh, real True. ownership and responsibility for that situation. We are the people who put ourselves in the situation that we are, we are in 
for the most part. I mean, yes, there's some luck, there's some economy, there's some politics, there's uh, which country you're born in. These things we can't necessarily control, but we can certainly react and we can make plans to not get too caught up in it. So I did a whole chapter on compromise. I did a whole chapter on the 64-4. I did a whole chapter on the profit formula, which uh, gives you good levers that you can pull in in various parts. There's about five things you can tune up to help your business be more profitable. And all of these things, when you stack them together, they work in favor of you sort of being able to pull back on the number of hours you spend and they increase the yield per hour, which is what that effective hourly rate is. Yeah, I think that's that's really important, like pretty much well, all of it, right? So I've had a client in the past where I, I remember um, it was just like a two or $3,000 job and once I ran the numbers on it, it came out negative. So um, I can't remember who it was. I read another book or something recently where they were talking about that by doing um, less work, you can actually make more money sometimes if you're trimming the right clients that are actually – costing you right it's true like if you have a uh, web service business like i used to have you're actually selling time so we used to sell custom wordpress websites for around two thousand dollars and we worked out that they take about 30 something hours to build on average Um, but there was one job that took us something like 80 hours and i worked out that i was paying my team more in wages than the customer paid me so i was paying for this website to be built and putting my hand in my own pocket Mm -hmm. to build a customer's website just doesn't make sense so from then on we put a new metric and that was we looked for jobs that went past 35 hours Uh, we wanted you know i wanted to know instantly like we should have alarm sort of singing at the top of their voice we should have flashing lights saying hang on a minute someone just went over uh, have we activated an extra hourly payment from this customer is there a reason for this scope creep where did we miscommunicate uh, are we pandering to a crazy customer and not reining them in or setting boundaries because if you don't um, what i found and it I'm certainly not saying they're all like this, but generally people who are attracted to programming um, can get quite absorbed in their zeros and ones. They put their headphones on and they're doing the work, but they're not always sort of aware of what's going on around them or, you know, whether the business is losing money or making money. And they often don't want to get too involved in a communication back and forth with a non-technical customer. They'd rather just sit down and do the work. And, uh, you yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, it's uh, the same as the designers. Creatives. Yeah. They can be super driven by looks and designs and stuff, but, but not necessarily understanding what's going on with the business. So that's the business owner's role. Yeah. I think we just had a massive delay going on there for a second, but <laughs> uh, it seems to have sorted itself out. But um, yeah, I think there's a lot of uh, people in the space that don't even track their time at all. I was that guy for quite a while and it's very enlightening. I think I think that was one of the first things you talked about in the book was is start tracking your time and that's kind of a little reset that I do every two to three months where I track my time for maybe two or three weeks and then just go look at it and be like, okay, well, I'm spending too much time on this now. I need to sort that out. Um, so it can be a good little sort of exercise to do that for a couple of weeks um, just to make sure that 
time isn't getting away from you or certain jobs aren't eating up uh, profit like you exactly talked about <laughs> there. Right. So, and we t- you touched on it earlier uh, around team and processes. Uh, so this is another massive thing that I've learned uh, from you as well is the value of processes. Um, and I liked your little post-it note system for uh, finding out what you should delegate because this, this is a big problem for people to do their first hire, which a lot of, uh, a lot of web designers are, they're still just a freelancer. Um, and they want to, they want to sort of move up in the world, but they don't know where to start in hiring that first person. He's like, what, what am I going to um, get? What tasks am I going to give this person? Cause I've been through the exact same thing and I was worried, you know, that I would hire someone and I just have nothing to give them. So what sort of advice have you got there? Well, probably they've already started it. They're just not aware of it. Like most programmers know how to order pizza, right? Instead of sourcing ingredients and cooking their own meal, they can order a pizza so they can keep coding. It's just like that, but the next stage of stuff. So you're exactly right. Being aware of what tasks are being done is the first step. And then it's a matter of moving that from you to someone else. So for me, uh, when I was building my little agency, the sort of jobs that I shouldn't be doing in the beginning was definitely support. If you get rogue customers, they will eat up all your available time talking about every little aspect of a job. And that's not good <laughs> for you as the you know designer slash coder slash project manager slash double checker slash UX <laughs> manager uh, at the same time as you know paying your bass statements and all of that. It's not a good job for you to be doing that. So Ideally, you move support away from the person doing the work. Uh, you can also get help outside of the business. Definitely, you know, get a bookkeeper instead of doing oh, your absolutely. own paperwork. Uh, get a cleaner instead of mucking around with that or a robot vacuum cleaner like I have. <laughs> They're the best. Yep. <laughs> uh, hopefully, he doesn't start up uh, anytime soon while we're on this call because he's got a mind of his own. Uh, I think my neighbor must have a remote because he's, you know, my robot's going a bit crazy. Anyway, um, just move, just basically take note of everything that you're doing. You could literally write it down onto a post-it note. Whenever you do something each day, just write it onto a post-it note, stack them up for a week. And at the end of the week, just have a look through it and just decide, well, which ones would you rather never have to do again? The great thing is some of them could actually be deleted because of the 64 4 uh, and I should just explain what that means, that uh, only 4% of the things that you're doing are generating you 64% of your results. So a tiny fraction of the things you do get you nearly two-thirds of your outcomes. So that means there's an enormous amount of things you're doing that are useless. Like uh, 96% of the stuff you do gets you a third of your outcomes. So you could safely delete a huge percentage of your activities with no downside whatsoever. And then of the ones that you really have to do that are unavoidable, like bookkeeping, like customer support, like doing the actual work that you've sold and working on your marketing and strategy, then just see which parts of those do you want as the business owner and which parts could you um, hire. And I will give you a pro tip and that is the hardest things to get other people to do are the things that you're particularly good at. that's probably what keeps web developers as solopreneurs because they're hanging on to the, the hard bit, the, the bit they're really talented at. 
However, if you look at someone like Zuckerberg, who wasn't the best programmer, he just had the idea. And then at some point, he started hiring people under him. Now, he still might hack around a bit, but I don't think he does too much. I think he's busy doing other things in his business. That's an extreme example, but it's a relatable example. Yeah, well, it's also like uh, as much as I'm not a big fan of this book because it's so much waffle in it, the the e myth, it's um, it's a good it's, it's that exact concept where someone knows what they're doing, so they become the technician at the beginning, and it's just they are doing all the work. I think it's important to get out of that pretty quickly um, because, like you're talking about before, I had a laugh when you were listing out all the roles, like the the double checker and the project manager and the developer, because that's exactly what it's like in the beginning. So um, getting some of those roles outsourced is, I think, it, easily some of the best decisions I've ever made in my business. Um, and the, two, the two top things I've ever done are making the right hires and um, throwing away entire parts of my business. And I know that was one of the things you were talking about when I started Silver Circle uh, <laughs> late last year. You said, stop, stop doing this. And I stopped and even just... Well, it wasn't even an immediate stop. It was a gradual wind down and just the mental space it gave me just changed everything because it's like, I know I'm not doing this forever. That's it. Like uh, when, when your interest fades or when a market's starting to implode on itself, uh, you know, like the VHS, beta market, video cassette machines, if you're in that market and you could see that the horizon doesn't look fantastic, it's time to bail let it go because it has a hold on your brain space. So that's a good reason why it's good to clean up around your office, your environment. Uh, it's a good reason why you should clear out old domain names and websites and any business unit that's not functioning. If you're hanging on to team members just because you feel sorry for them and they're not really performing any real function, maybe it's time to face that difficult decision. But you will feel better when you drop the burden you know, you're getting closer to that enlightenment that Buddhas talk about uh, where, where there's a nothingness. Uh, and it's, it really is um, relaxing when you have less things to be concerned about. And this applies to every aspect of your life. Yeah, I said, uh, I said no to a client or like an old client who needed some help with web hosting stuff just before this, uh, this call, actually. And I could not believe the good feeling I had right as I hit send. I was like, this just feels amazing because it was this really awkward problem with a crappy web host on Windows hosting. And I'm like, I'm not dealing with that. Like, <laughs> and um, I, you know, I said, it's in my contract. I don't you work with this hosting because they're terrible. And um, I was like, I'm sorry, we don't have the expertise for this. Like, uh, you know, past me would have been, said something like, oh, we'll try and work it out. And I would have spent a couple of hours digging through it. But that just saying no was, oh, was, I felt so relaxed afterwards. It gives you more power for the yes. Whatever the Correct. next yes is, you've got more capacity to deliver on that. It's mm. really exciting. And like, I'm constantly referring people to someone else or suggesting where their next step would be. If it's not something to do with me, that's fine. And at the same time, plenty of people are sending people to me that is a good fit for me and not for them. So, you know, the world can absorb everyone's, you know, special situation. Send them off to someone who loves dealing with problems like that. It's just not yeah. you. Yeah, that's it. Hey, um, there was, we sort of briefly touched on it before with like doing your first hire. Now, what's your opinion on hiring 
contract versus versus full time? Because I know a lot of people in this space sort of have their contractors they work with. Um, I've recent, well, not recently, a couple of years ago, I switched to full time and have had a lot of. I, I find it a lot better when someone's only reporting to you. You get faster response times and that kind of thing. It can just be a bit of a leap for people to make a full-time hire. So I read about your Infinity Project uh, concept, which I really like. So I want to hear what your thoughts are there. I still have some contractors, but for the most part, we're full-timers in my business. Um, It's a bigger commitment and responsibility for me. I have to keep them uh, excited and entertained and uh, I have to pay them, of course. And then it's (laughs) up to me to use that time wisely that I've bought. So we have the infinity project. That's the number one concern. If I hire someone full-time, if I can't keep them busy, I'm wasting money. Well, infinity project is something they can work on forever and never run out of stuff to do. Uh, So an example in our case is we're building out a publishing property in a different niche to our regular business that in uh, theory is no limit to how many pages or blog posts we can put on that website. And we just keep growing it bigger and bigger. And our end goal with that is to sell it. And our in-between goal is to monetize that with publishing revenue. So the more we work on it, the bigger it gets, the more money it makes. So it, in a way, when I sell that, it should fund my entire workforce for years. Uh, so that's one way to deal with that. But for sometimes with specialist services, contractors are the way to go. I generally won't hire in someone if they're on a super high skill level where I don't have enough work or my business isn't big enough or doing enough of that type of activity to justify it. So I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, In our business full-time, we're doing all of our content, transcriptions, our images, our um, website development, our our updating, our hosting, all that stuff's done internally. I hire in uh, a super pro-level designer, uh, Greg Merrilees, because he's just, he's an elite designer. He's like at the top of the charts in the Western world. There's no way I could afford uh, him full time. Uh, maybe I could <laughs> yeah. hire, des- I've, you know, some of the people in my team design and they're okay. They're good, but they're not like world level. So I get help from him, but he gives us the mock up and then my team slice it up and develop it. Uh, I have a friend who does my Facebook ads because that's a very high skill level. Someone doing that should be super specialized. If you try and do that in-house with an intern or uni graduate, you're probably going to spend a fair bit of money wasting uh, campaigns when a real expert's going to be a super high level. I even sent my contractor to $5,000 workshop to learn more from another one of my clients, Keith Krantz so that he could work on my campaigns at at a high level. Oh, wow. I also have uh, Dave Wooding, who does all my APIs and integrations and has been there from day one for me with all my communities. So if something breaks or there's an update of uh, software between our cart, forum, uh, website or whatever, him and and my webmaster chat and they just make it all work again because high-level programming or PHP work and API stuff, um, it's slightly within our scope in the team, but but he just gets he's just so good at it. Been dealing with him for a long time, and then I've got one contractor who I have um, helping me uh, run the forum and do some um, administration stuff behind the scenes on a very part time, permanent part time, casual basis. And he's just like a great 
um, supporter. He helps me run my events. He helps me. Uh, he'll, he'll always just rip me to shreds if there's a spelling mistake or uh, he thinks I'm going off the wrong track or I'm, I'm not doing something right. He'll just he'll just uh, hold me accountable, which is cool. And that's, a, that's about it that I can think of off the top of my head. But there's a couple of specialist roles. Now, if you're a small operation, then you should probably just use a contractor for uh, your bookkeeping or a contractor for your website or your contractor for design or contractor for AdWords. If you turn into a bigger company, like some of my other clients, uh, like Tom Breeze, he's doing YouTube ads at a very elite level. He has in-house Facebook people. Uh, he has in-house designers because he's, at a, he's doing that all day, every day for clients. They're at a world level. So that's the type of business he is. And, and they have every right to, to acquire those sort of um, talents. But for a lot of us, we're just going to pick and choose what makes sense for us until you reach a point where you feel like it's, it just make, you know, it makes sense. Now, the big benefit of having your own in-house people is they're developing a brain. They're developing that context. They're building up intellectual property and they can think for you and just like you. So I no longer log into WordPress. I no longer log into my shopping cart. I no longer log into my bookkeeping software. All I'm logging into is Slack and my forum. And that's it. Slack to run the team and my forum to uh, deliver my coaching services. So I've kept the tool set low and my team are logging into everything else. Zero, Entreport, Thrivecart, uh, Help Scout. That's, so I would say I'm one layer back. It, and I've got a little team of five just to give you pure context. It's not a huge overhead. Mm-hmm. Probably cost $100,000 a year to run a team like that. So if you have a substantial business, that's a pretty low overhead to get all those things off your plate and then just focus on your special skill. Yeah, yep, totally. Um, there was one thing you mentioned there that I wanted to quickly circle back to in that um, with Dave Wooding where you said, you know, some of the stuff he does might be in, in your skill set, but um, he's just, you know, he's been doing it for years, so he's got it, got it down. I think this is really important with hiring too, especially in the development world. Uh, they say, you know, one like let's say you pay someone twice a VA twice as much, you might actually get five times the output out of that person. Whereas with development, which is very relevant, obviously in web design, it can be even stronger. Like one, I've had developers that I would easily say are 50 times as good that we've paid 10 times as much, right? And and that <laughs> that's really important when you're trying to build good websites or, or software products like we do. Um, yeah, so I just wanted to sort of touch on that. Well, I, you know, I want my website to be up and working at all times. It's important for my income. Um, the other thing about Dave, and this is a, a really uh, sort of a, something that's not obvious at, at first, is because he's working with all of my top-level clients, he's aggregating data and benchmarking across at least 50 websites just like mine. So I'm tapping into a knowledge base that we're just not going to see in our own business. If we're in our own business, we're just going to see our website. But if he makes an innovation on someone else's site and it's the same platform as mine, he'll just log in and update ours. So I've logged into my forum before and I've seen this whole new dashboard. I'm like, Dave, what's this? He goes, oh, it's your new dashboard. This dashboard tells me the most popular content. It tells me my churn, my members joining uh, my average retention in months, it's charting all this stuff. 
It's got the top posters and all this other stuff that um, someone else thought was useful. Uh, so he just made it and then rolled it out to me. So sometimes when you access a larger machine on a casual sort of basis, you're accessing all of their um, IP as well. Like if you were to hire a top-level accountant from Horwitz or something, you know, hopefully they've got like a global database of best practice that your, your guy is able to access. Yeah, that's really good. The fact that he's pulling in stuff that he's learning across businesses, that's a benefit I'd not even thought of, and that's awesome. So just what we were just talking about there with, um, you know, contractors and, and hiring, I think another thing that you talk about a lot that I love is recurring revenue. Uh, and this is something that can make it really easy or a lot easier to make that first hire. So, um, for example, with us, when we started doing website care or website maintenance plans, if you've got a few of those um, before you make your first hire, it can really smooth out that that feast and famine cycle that is so uh, prevalent among digital agencies. So, um, yeah, give us a bit bit of insight into recurring revenue and why it's so important. Well, I think you've nailed it. Um, you know, I don't like to starve. Who does? And <laughs> a lot of people are using a business model that is risky at best. Um, the sort of risks that we often see, like they either get paid by one person or they let one customer become more than half their income or even more than three quarters, I think is, is uh, or more than, a, more than a quarter start to, to blip on my radar. Um, other things they do, they get paid one time. So they get paid and then they're scrambling to do the work and then they don't do marketing and then they need more money and they've got to go look for a customer and then they start laying off people while they get a customer. Then they win a job and then they've got to hire people back on and then they're So basically their entire life is in stress mode. Oh, yeah. I, I did a podcast on this exact topic about um, Kevin Rogers, who's a copywriter, and they are notorious for worrying about getting a customer and then when they get the customer, they worry about delivering the job and then they deliver the job and then they go back to worrying about a customer. So it's a bad cycle. And then there's <laughs> the, the third thing is this launch phenomenon where people sort of build up this big slingshot and then release it to the market. But it just puts a massive strain on everything. They're, they're paying out most of the money back to affiliates, support, the copywriter, uh, the affiliate JV organizer, Everyone else except for them, they get left a fraction of it. And then the customers got this massive support demand. They like they need all this help right now, everyone at once. It crushes your reputation. And then you've got to do it all again. So I figured that it's better to just get paid over and over and over again. I'm coming into now probably my sixth and a half, seventh year of um, recurring six-figure months of income. Um, unbroken and that is because I was pretty early to go for the recurring model because I came uh, uh, early in the book you, you probably read there's this little cash flow crisis where I sent a company broke because I sold so much of their stuff they couldn't deliver it and everyone refunded and put chargebacks and then they didn't send me my money for my ads that I'd already spent so from that point on I focused on recurring which is really to sell once and then um, just look after the customer. Unless their needs change or unless you drop the ball, they'll stick around for quite some time. And over over uh, um, a bit of practice and fine-tuning, you can increase the retention period for your business. Now, software as a service businesses are, are very used to this. 
but the enemy of subscription businesses is churn. And you have to do plenty of things to retain your customers, but that becomes your focus. So you basically decide, do I want to be a hunter and go out looking for new customers all the time? And if I don't, I starve. Or would I rather be a farmer where I plant things, it's a bit of extra work, I've got to look after the crop. However, I get to stay in the same place and I can keep living off my harvest as long as I look after it. And I've found that that's a great business model, the farming method. And you can still supplement it with some hunting. You know, if you want to have your, your grapes and your wine and a nice steak, then do both. So there's elements of my business where I get paid one time, but for, for the most part, probably more than 90% of it is recurring. I think that's why um, we're seeing a lot recently, or I've noticed quite a few people doing subscription-based websites where instead of a big upfront free fee, they actually get them into a sort of ongoing it's, it obviously includes maintenance and updates and changes and all that kind of stuff as well, but no upfront fee. So to the client, it's quite attractive because there's not this big cost, but then they sort of lock them in for a couple of years or whatever, and it, it makes their revenue quite quite stable. Um, I mean, I think an easy thing for web designers to do is add maintenance plans, which I think most people are doing now anyway to look after their existing clients. But another one... Um, See, it's very easy to fall into a trap because I did this of trying to add other services, right? Like Facebook ads or Google ads to try and get that recurring revenue. I I did that back in the day. Um, but I think some things you still can take on. For example, SEO, I think can be a really easy one for web designers to take on if they're using a reseller, um, such as your old uh, old business and that was kind of the, the model I took where it was only very minimal work for us where all the heavy lifting was done by an external um, contractor. That It was just a markup basically. So I think that's a, that can work as well. SEO is a great example where it's not necessarily a good idea to hire that in-house unless you're an SEO business. You know? mm-hmm. And like you said, we were, we were the wholesale supply but we didn't go into the retail side. We weren't hiring salespeople and we weren't doing all the difficult stuff like dealing with end-user customers who are unsophisticated. And uh, yes, it makes sense to, to, to add on things. So I would say, look, if you don't want to build that unit within your business, one thing you might do, and this is really simple, this, this really might um, make up for spending the time on this training, is just create a recommended products page on your website and put products or services that you know your customers should have or need that you're never going to supply yourself that you might be able to have an affiliate arrangement for. So almost all of my customers need some kind of autoresponder or CRM software. They all need some kind of hosting. Uh, So I put recommended affiliate links. Most of them need a shopping cart. Some of these programs have generated me a fantastic income. It's really the first business model that I did online and I continue to do it. I think I've made six figures of income from affiliate marketing for uh, around about, gee, maybe 11 years now uh, straight. It's unreal. (laughs) So it's, it's it's great cream on top of the milk. It's right there to get. And the first step might be to survey your customers and find out what are they already spending money on. And if you find a cluster of things they're already all buying, then that's surely something you could recommend to new customers as they come on board. 
Yeah, totally. I think that's really good with hosting too, because a lot of um, hosting programs have uh, pretty decent affiliate programs. And um, obviously everyone with a website needs hosting. So that's, you know, one of our big affiliate streams is, is through hosting. And I think it's kind of a mistake for a lot of web designers to take on hosting as a service because you don't want to be that that person they call at 2 a.m. when the website goes down. Um, <laughs> so that's why I've always been a big fan. Or I, I, I've tried it. It's a hard business. Uh, you, yeah. You, you know, <laughs> it was pretty ambitious for someone with no technical ability in my case. <laughs> uh, but I had the customers and it was something that uh, I could sell. But as we said earlier in this discussion, it's good to just cut business units that aren't suited for you. I've often turned off profitable income streams just because I don't feel like it's going to go anywhere or I'm not the best at it and I don't want to um, throw my hat in the ring competing with people who are uh, in some cases going to do a better job. So if I'm no longer the best supplier for the customer, I'll exit the market and I'll be realistic about where I am the best. Yeah, no, that's a good good uh, philosophy. I think it's gonna have to start applying that to some of my things. Because <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you're talking there about you've got someone to do your Facebook ads and all that sort of stuff. And I've I've been through Facebook people and and not found someone that was working at a price that worked for us at the time. And at the moment, I'm back doing my Facebook ads, so I'm uh, <laughs> I need to eat some of uh, some of this as well and <laughs> take some of your advice on. But so, always ask for referrals for um, for roles like that because you could definitely get bad suppliers with any industry, and um, totally. often a, you know a few word of mouth referrals will get you closer to the mark. That's been my successful strategy for finding suppliers. Is they often in my case they're customers, and I get to peek behind the curtain, so I have a high degree of knowledge of how they're already performing, I've got, uh, I'm lucky to have access to that sort of level of data. But in the case of where you can't do that, then I would definitely go for some kind of a uh, recommendation or referral as a starting point. Mm. All right. Um, I actually just noticed uh, going through this sort of outline of your book, how well it all flows together, like how each, each thing flows into I didn't even notice when I was reading, but now that I'm going through this, Kelly's done. Uh, is this Kelly's doing or is this your doing? Oh, yeah, this is all Kelly. Kelly yeah. created the structure. I think that's uh, one of her many super skills. But the jobs that Kelly did, uh, and I'll probably miss a few, but she was the catalyst for doing the book. She helped um, structure it, uh, organize it, write it, name it, uh, market it. She's basically done most of it. <laughs> um, where I've contributed was the, the actual content itself, um, the raw content, the responses to her many, many questions, the recording of the audio transcripts. Uh, and then I spent a few hours on each chapter just making sure it was James. Because if you read this book, it will definitely sound and feel exactly like me because I've rendered it all yep. um, back to me. There's was, there was a lot of changes I made that were just rendering surface-level changes, but the core structure, all Kelly, and um, she just did a remarkable job. She even, like, cajoled me to get this cover photo and everything, like... It was, it, was a, it was a good, you know, it was a great effort from her and it was a, 
it was something I needed. So that was me having the good sense to say, you know what, left left up to me, this book isn't going to happen. So I'm going to get someone on board to help me make it happen. And in my position where I'm the one who's usually giving the instructions and um, I could get away with doing nothing if I really wanted. I don't need to do a book. It was good to have someone rein me in and set some rails for me to roll along. And it's the same that I've done with my surfing. I've got someone to, to give me instruction to progress me faster. So that's something we've got to be really honest about ourselves with. You know, If it's not happening now without support, what would have to happen for it to happen? Like what change would, would be made? In my case for the book, it's say, let's bring someone on board to make this happen. And I still had to do plenty of work. Uh, it, it's not like it just happened. It was grueling. Had to research all of the timelines and the, the historical part. I had to debate back and forth with my parents about history. Uh, <laughs> I had to... Um, see what could be put in there, what couldn't, to answer all the questions as I'm traveling around Europe. and uh, I spent at least 20 hours on the last version before I signed off on it. And now I'm faced with reading it for the Audible. So there's plenty of obstacles, but I'm glad I, I got over them. Yeah, that's awesome. So, yeah, as I said, we need, sometimes we need someone to help push us along. And I think that's what Silver Circle was for me, right? Like I, it was a good time that I did Silver Circle, which is your – your high level, um, I guess, mastermind slash coaching uh, thing. And um, that, you know, made pretty massive changes in my business. Even actually, actually someone asked about business coaching in our Facebook group the other day and, you know, whether it's worth it and that kind of thing. And I have a really hard time articulating sort of what the benefits are because it's kind of like it could just be one or two little tweaks that make such huge differences. And like, how do you tell someone that that's worth or what that's worth? You know, that's really the trick. I don't know if I've fully solved it yet because I, in my case, my program is more general than some others. Like it's not a how to write a book course. It's not a how to run Facebook training. I'm not a specialist at speaking from stage. Um, Even though I can do some of those things, it could be one introduction. It could be a rewiring of someone's brain. Um, But sometimes it's hard for me to reflect to them the change that they've done so some of the things that i do to help them and this would probably still work for a website development role is to take a before snapshot to do a diagnostic of what you're starting with and record that and then to have regular check-ins some of the changes i've made over time are i now paste notes that we have on every conversation afterwards um, for all the one-to-ones i record them all in a private section for the consumer I have more regular check-ins than I used to have and I have uh, prompts at each step of the way to acknowledge, um, well, I guess we'd call it gratitude, but to acknowledge progress. And some people, it's it's kind of like when you have a puppy dog, you don't really notice it growing into a full-size dog when you're always seeing it. But someone who hasn't seen it for a while is like, oh, my God, that's just gone. (laughs) You know, I'm seeing people on regular check-ins, but they're seeing themselves every day in the mirror. So they don't notice the change sometimes. And, you know, the funny phenomenon that I've had is I get a lot of people come back after a little time away because they've been able to reflect on what the difference was and then They've had a um, a connection with that's that's what the source was, and then they come back. So 
had a few a few times that happens. It's, it happens a lot in super fast business. Uh, yeah, it, it's, I did it. I mean, I, was, I wasn't just, there for I, putting I was out, out book, for maybe a year. Putting out a book reactivated yeah. a stack of past members, and I think it's good that I can have that relationship with someone where we haven't burnt bridges, and they can um, basically come and use it when they need it or when it's the right time for them. And I also accept that it's not always going to be the only solution or the right solution for someone at whatever stage they're at. But for a lot of people, it's good uh, when they need it. That's what I'm trying to be is that that exact solution for the right time they need it for as long as they need it. And, uh, you know, we're all so different. That's why my program's customized because we're different. It also makes it very hard (laughs) for me and... Uh, not as scalable, but it is leveraged and it's still very profitable. Uh, and, you know, I'm using a lot of the principles from the book. But, the, you know, the, when, when it's all said and done, if I have a great income, which I do, if I get to surf every day, which I do, if I'm happy and healthy and I've got good relationships, then, then that's what life is all about for me. And for anyone who's not feeling it yet, if you just feel like you're always working too much or not getting paid what you're worth, or you're stressed out, or you're confused about what the right things are to do, then that's who the book's for. I wrote that book for my 15 to 22-year-old kids. Uh, I've got four of them in that bracket. And the book was designed to give them a fast start, a primer, to save them some wasted energy. And and, uh, it definitely works on adults. Some of my early mentors have given me praise, like John Reese, Jonathan Mizell, Perry Marshall, Nice. It was. It's nice to to get some of them uh, saying, "Yeah, I got something from it." I mean, Perry Marshall wrote the eighty twenty book because he's yeah. a huge fanboy of Kosh, who wrote the original one, and he's he still got a lot out of the sixty four four chapter. He said it was like the eighty twenty <laughs> on steroids or supercharged. Brilliant. That's awesome. That's really bloody awesome. I think that's a pretty good place to end. Uh, to be honest, <laughs> it's. Uh... It's been awesome. It's probably gone on a little bit long. I don't even know. It's like nearly an hour, um, <laughs> but it was all bloody good. So um, where can people go to get your book? Um, just go to Amazon. Look for this one because there's, <laughs> there's a couple with a similar title, Work Less, Make More by James Shramko. Just go to Amazon in your country. With the awesome cover photo. Yeah. <laughs> you got no idea. The one I sent <laughs> Kelly, she goes, no, you don't look like that anymore. So I took some with my camera and lights. And she goes, no, you need a professional. I'm like, oh, come on. So I, I, um, one of my Silver yeah, Circle clients uh, is, has a boyfriend who is a photographer um, who went on a Maldives surfing trip with me. And he came around on short notice and took that photo and nailed it. And uh, <laughs> well, he saved me. So. It, it worked out beautifully. You know, referral and network. It's, it's all in the referrals totally. and the networks. All right. Thanks again for joining me. Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks, Jimmy. Discover how to grow your agency, earn more, and work less at agencyhighway.com. Head over there to get resources from this episode and full transcripts. See you next time. This episode was brought to you by Content Snare. If you're a digital agency or just need to get content or info from your clients, Content Snare can help you collect it on time and without enormous email trails. Give it a try at contentsnare.com.